Good evening, and of course, a very warm welcome to today's podcast, brought to you from Equine Devil's Advocate. It is a follow-up Friday already, and today, the 21st of December, the winter solstice. Hurrah! To me, this always seems like the end of a year, and the 22nd, the beginning of the new year. The end of one cycle and the beginning of the new cycle. I actually quite like thinking this way, as it means that the celebration of Christmas is actually in the beginning of a new cycle of the planets. And it's rather nice to start a year with a celebration and a feeling of goodwill to all. One could, of course, say that of the calendar New Year, but, in fact, this way, you get to do it twice. Actually, I've just realised I sound a bit like a druid or something. Um, Well, it's not that there's actually anything wrong with that. I'm not a druid. It's just that the seasons and the weather have such an overriding influence on anyone on this side of the world who spends winter outside. First thought in the morning. What is the weather doing today? We peek out of the window. And then the all-important wardrobe choice. (gasps) Which garments to choose for the day? Such a specific, complicated business. Thermals. Hmm. Well, not the ones with the wayward leg that rotates and slides up all on its own. Or is it actually not quite cold enough for thermals? Perhaps thermals with lighter fabric breeches, but then with waterproof over-trousers? On top, I could just get too hot. Dilemma, dilemma. But we make our choice. And everything must tuck in. No wayward moving fabric that exposes your back to the cold or wind or rain when you're trying to pick out feet. Oh, and the socks. Let us not forget the socks. They have to be precise. Feet need to be warm. But socks need to be warm enough for the yard boots, yet not two sizes too big for the riding boots. And God forbid that one of the very best, favourite pair has gone walkabout. Seeing that single favourite sock alone in the drawer, first thing in the morning, a bad way to start the day indeed. And then on to the layers. How many? Where did you leave them? Are they in the car, at the stables, or warming on the radiator? How many to wear at once? Can you actually move wearing all these clothes? Or do you just feel like a walking wardrobe? Then the outer layer must have double zips. Cannot function without double zips. We are teaching outside. Well, what to wear? Aha! The full-length Arctic padded sleeping bag number with a funnel hood seems like the very best option. But can you speak properly through that faux fur? And can people hear you? But what about if it rains? Dilemma, dilemma. Well, the sensible solution, chuck it all in the car just in case. Then try looking out of the rearview mirror. Oh, the delights of horses in winter. Anyway, 
Just a little rambling there, a little picture for you of how my day starts. How does yours start? So, back to the topic of today's follow-up Friday. Does a horse have the right to make a point? And of course, your correspondence to that effect. Well, what did we have this week? So many of you, so many, were sad about the story of Dennis at the end, and wished that Dennis succeeded in finding his very best people and home. And in fact, all of you said yes. A horse does have the right to make a point. Which actually rather surprised me slightly. Here's one from somebody that said, "We need to listen to our horses to create a partnership. If they cannot speak to us, then they sometimes need to show us." Another one of you wrote in and said, "I used to think that horses should do exactly what they were told when they were told, or it meant that they had no manners." It seemed sensible to me at the time, as they are so big and strong. That all changed when I bought my own horse, a big, strong, hairy cob. I learnt very quickly that actually his size and strength is of little consequence. It is his personality and gentleness that motivates him and me. He responds so well to my voice commands, and treats and prays. Now I enjoy that he loves to interact with me, but always has perfect manners. And another from somebody that said, horses definitely have the right to make a point. They have brains and feelings just like us. They can choose what they like and dislike as well. One of my horses just goes with the flow, while the other likes to make a point quite regularly. For example, she does not always like me riding her up to the school, so I get off and walk her up there. Yes, some people may think that I am being too soft with her, and I should make her do it. But what's forcing her going to achieve? I would end up in a big argument with her, and I don't think the end result would be her respecting me more. In fact, I think she would respect me less for squashing her opinion. I think by her showing me, by her showing her right to make a point, she is in fact showing intelligence and self-worth, and I respect her for that. Now. There were two more that I would actually really like to read to you. They are both a full story in their own right, and give a very enlightening picture. We feel in a very personal way, and、um, we thank you for writing them in. Firstly, from this person who wishes to remain anonymous. This is somewhere that I came very unstuck with my first horse. Who was young, six years old, and a bit nervy when I bought him. He was also a bit undernourished and most definitely unkempt. I had some problems as he became more confident and healthier. He began to be a little silly and spooky out hacking and in the school. 
shadows and puddles or leaves blowing across the road and in the school if the jump blocks had been moved. I always assumed he was still lacking in confidence, so I calmed him and, yes, perhaps babied him, saying, it's okay, don't worry, etc., and patting him. Instead of him getting better as I thought he would, he got worse, and many people said, for heaven's sake, he is just messing about with you, give him a slap. To me, I thought there was something, something traumatic in his past, so I resisted. I knew these people were frustrated with me, but I stuck to my guns and continued to baby him. Until one particular day, he had been very silly all that week. I rode out with a friend on the country lanes. It had been raining, and there were puddles everywhere. The whole ride, he behaved as though they were monsters that might leap up and grab him. At one point, a van was coming up behind us really fast, and there was a puddle on my left. He was not listening to me at all, and just as the van passed, he snorted and jumped sideways into the road. He missed the van within a hair's breath, and I lost it. I lost my call with him. I slapped him down the shoulder with my crop so hard and verbally told him off. Enough, I said. I was angry, like a mother that has pulled her child back onto the pavement from the road, angry and scared at the same time. He was shocked and squared himself up straight away. For the rest of the ride, if he even so much as blinked at something, I growled at him enough. Well, that near miss actually solved our problem very quickly. After that telling off, in inverted commas, he became much better behaved and attentive. I, of course, received praise and encouragement from many, many people for finally making my point. She goes on to say, I know it's a long story and it doesn't end there. I have to thank you, Equine Devil's Advocate, for the opportunity to tell my story because I think it's worth sharing, though it's not actually easy for me to share it. The story continues. After some years, I decided to buy a second horse for the show ring. My first horse and I had done well, but he was a bit limited by his ancestry. I was enjoying my sport and I am fortunate enough to be able to keep two horses and show them. For my second horse, I wanted a been there and done that type with scope to grow in the sport. So I took my time searching. Eventually, I found and purchased the perfect horse. He was delightful in every way. Then, seemingly out of the blue one day, he would not stand at the mounting block for me to get on. I had someone hold him. Straight, but just as I was about to put my foot in the stirrup, he reared and leapt forward. To cut a long story short, this got worse and worse. Having learnt my lesson about babying my horses, justified by my first horse's history, 
I knew this horse did not have a checkered past, so he must just be trying it on with me, in inverted commas, as people would say, myself included. Consequently, I took a very firm line with him. I did lots of groundwork involving the mounting block, as much as my knowledge and my ability would allow. Things got worse. Now he became difficult to tack up. He would turn his quarters to me and threaten to kick. I decided to get the help of an experienced professional in this field of behaviour. So he began his training, at first improving, but only up to a point. The point that at which a foot went into the stirrup. Then he would avoid it in every way possible. Finally, instead of leaping away from the mounting block, he leapt over it towards us, knocking me to the ground and then subsequently kicking the trainer really hard on the leg. It was, for me, a defining moment. I came to my senses. You see, with my first horse, I was always saying to myself, Oh, poor little man, he's worried, he's frightened, someone has upset him, someone has done this to him. But with this horse, not once did I think he actually did have something wrong, and really was just trying to tell me. The trainer recommended taking to him, taking him to his premises for intensive training, but luckily, like I said, I had come to my senses and I said no. I had to find out what was wrong before I could go any further. Anyway, three vets later, I won't go into detail about the first two, the third one was actually retired, but having been very disillusioned with the previous advice I'd been given, I asked him if he would kindly come and give me his opinion. He came, thankfully, and quietly and gently examined my horse from top to toe. Thank goodness he did, as he found a small, hard lump on one offside rib. I had x-rays taken, and sure enough, the rib had healed a fracture, and now had a bony spur on the outside where it had healed. A bony spur that sat right underneath my saddle flap and girth buckles. Only then did I remember the enormous muddy hoof print I had seen on his rug weeks and weeks ago. I was mortified with myself because it was in fact after that that all the problems had started. How could I have been so blind. His tack has been readjusted and a hole cut so there is no pressure on his rib and the girth is a different shape so the buckles are free of that area. He is now fine in every way. As I said, my story is a long one and thank you for hearing it. I think the best amends I can make to both my beloved horses is to tell my story to those that want to listen and hopefully not follow the same route of ignorant pity and emphatic stubbornness 
as I did. Though perhaps I am a better horse owner for it, I still carry a degree of guilt. But I totally agree. Horses have the right to make a point, and it's up to us to listen. Many thanks for hearing my story. Well, we say thank you for writing it, and goodness, yeah, it is a tough one. I mean, realistically, we can all hold our hands up, as we've all done something that we wish afterwards we hadn't. But in reality, no one has all the answers, and we never stop learning. I think our saving grace is being open, open to listening, learning, and the intention. To understand and improve, horses are so forgiving if our intentions are honourable, and we say to you most certainly, the honesty in your story will be of value to others. And you know what? It's actually okay to hold our hands up and say, "I made a mistake," but the best part about it is also to say, "I won't be making the same one." Again, and this is the、um, second one I'd like to read to you. Another one with a lot of personal honesty about a situation that she found herself in, and she does begin by saying some very, very nice things about enjoying our podcast, which is always encouraging and good to know. So, thank you for that. She then goes on to tell her story. She talks of the story of Dennis, and there was a tinge of sadness about it that really touched her. And then she says, "And of course, it reminded me that sometimes we just don't know what the end of the story will be." It reminded me of a pony I once owned. I wasn't looking to buy one, but his owners, seeing my soft nature. And I presume mug tattooed on my forehead played off my soft side, with suggestions of him ending up at a dealer's or worse. He was bred by the same people that bred my pony of a lifetime, so I took him on. It was over a year before I could sit on him, as when I pulled his rug back, he was skin and bone. I bought him from the field; they had been riding him. Up until that point, as well, I had seen them. My vet was shocked at his condition, so we spent the first year feeding him correctly and letting him settle. We also moved to a lovely yard where we were in a herd of four girls and three boys. Over the next couple of years, I brought him back into work, but it was clear he was slightly stubborn, and. Very sure of what he would and wouldn't do. I think he humoured me a lot of the time. Unfortunately, due to being let down by a friend who was meant to be training him for me, this little niggle of distrust I had with him, our relationship soured slightly. This seed of distrust started when the day after I bought him, I. Bought him. His old owner walked past and said, "Good luck picking up his feet." Laughed and walked away. The first time I tried, he nearly double-barrelled me in the head. 
he had a massive issue with his feet and farrier time was always fraught and involved having to be sedated. She would not tell me what had caused this or anything else I asked of, of her about him. She had a riding school and I was always slightly suspicious why she got rid of him rather than use him for the school as he was a useful size. Coupled with some stories I'd heard very second hand about him being extremely naughty out hacking. I am not the bravest and this did affect the way I worked with him. I'm afraid, hence asking a friend to assist me, which didn't work, and I was back to square one. I got to the point where I could school him, but was still worried about hacking. We then had to move to another yard and the dynamics changed massively. He was in with my three girls, but surrounded by boys in other fields. He started displaying riggish behaviour to the boys and protecting the girls. Handling him for the vets and farriers became almost impossible, although I could ride him around the field bareback and he was fine. He wouldn't leave the field, though, as he would rear and try to get back, and it was just very dangerous. In the end, I wasn't happy and he wasn't happy. My vet sat me down and had a chat with me about it, reminding me this was a hobby and it was meant to be fun. All I wanted for him was to be happy in whatever we did, but he clearly wasn't and made it very clear. I couldn't have forced him to do anything. He was only 13 too, but strong as an ox, and you could see he wasn't just being naughty. He really, really did not want to do these things I was asking him to do. I have no idea what happened to him before I had him, but it must have been something horrible. I knew if I kept asking or forcing, he'd become more and more unhappy. So I broke the promise I made to keep him forever. But I did it for him. I found the perfect home, an older couple who had dealt with problem horses before. I had a mutual friend with them, who I trusted implicitly, and we shared a vet. I spoke to them, and my friend and vet, and then we met them. They were lovely, and adored him. I told them his whole story, and they were still not put off. It's over three years ago now he trundled off to live with them. He lives the life of Riley. They spend hours pampering and brushing him, playing games with him in the field, and just spending time with him. He loves it. He is their only horse and lives in individual turnout, which suits him down to the ground. He is much happier with the vet and the farrier. They have no issue with him now. It was so easy to feel guilty and like I'd failed, but the way I see it was I was not the right home for him but I was a stepping stone to the right place for him. He had absolutely every right to tell me he wasn't happy and he didn't want the things I did. To be honest, I would rather that horses tell us rather than be despondent and put up with our demands. I love the fact that I have a partnership with my girls and we all enjoy schooling and happy hacking and jumping, etc. together. 
I hope one day that you do find out what happened to Dennis. Well, thank you so much for that story, and it is a success story, and not just for the pony, but actually for everyone. And it is such a difficult time. You're not the only one. You're not the first, and you're certainly not the last. Being in that dark mental place when you know, categorically, from the bottom of your boots, that your horse is not happy. You just cannot get away from it. It ekes into your very bones. And then, of course, there's the agonizing decision: what to do, what to do for the best. That unknown. Will it be best? It is so hard for everyone who's in that predicament. But that slight. Sight of a dejected, suppressed horse, we think, hurts more. For that is not a horse; that is a shell of what a horse should be. And yes, sometimes, as with this story, it's so refreshing that someone is on the outside looking in and can see it, and comes forward with your. Best interests at heart, and your horse's best interests at heart, and they say, "Look, it's time, time to stop, time to look, and think again. This is not right, and it's not working. There is a better way." And how amazing the people that you manage to find—people with the love and the time and the means to take him on—people like that are not in abundance and. Do not grow on trees. But also, I think the other aspect of a story like this is that there is such a sense of pride looking back and accepting that role as being a stepping stone to better. If we can just keep that notion of it being a failure and that we've given up out of our heads, well, we here at Quine Devils Advocates say, hats off to you. And it's a lovely little chapter in your life that's uplifting and encouraging, and definitely gives hope and the realization that a horse or pony can be master of his own destiny. And news of Dennis? Well, no, but it is a big, wide world out there, and. We here at Equine Devils Advocate are realistically less than three months old, so there is a likelihood that we are a minnow in the sea of communication at the moment. We are, of course, hoping to become the size of a humpback whale in time. And yes, Dennis would have been, could have been, I think, the most amazing eventer. The idea of a crowd of people around a fence watching him, and only him, would have made him so very, very happy. But there is always hope, and in fairness, Ascot Sales is a place where people would go to look for such a horse. There is a proper, detailed catalogue published in advance of the sale date. Each page is allocated to each horse, with their lot number, 
half the page is for information of lineage and age, etc. And the other half for performance history of any kind, not just racing. And there is also plenty of time before the auction to investigate and to verify any details you wish. In fact, some horses don't actually get as far as the auction and they can and are bought before the sales privately if the purchasers are willing and the buyers are willing to sell. And if you do go to the auction on the day, all the horses can be seen in their stables or trotted up. You can quiz their owners if they're there or the staff. It's not, it's true, as glamorous an affair as the auctions are on the continent, but it can be a reasonable option if someone is looking to buy a thoroughbred horse. The only warning really is those that say sold as seen. That's the one to watch out for. But there is one thing of which I am absolutely certain. Dennis would have stood elegant and square and marched loftily and proudly with that superior air around that sail ring, soaking in the sight of all those people and probably cocking his head at the auctioneer. And I do not doubt that he probably also stuck his tongue out too. On that note, we will be back on Monday, Christmas Eve, and we are going to go traditional. We are going to go with a Scrooge-esque story, a horsey Scrooge-esque tale. But who will play the part of Scrooge, horse or human? Please do join us this coming Monday, Christmas Eve, to find out. Until then, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take care and we will of course speak soon.